Hey, it's Garbage Brain University. I'm Drew Toothpaste. I'm Natalie B. Today, we're talking... Remote viewing. Like binoculars. Right, or like a telescope. <laughs> uh, periscope. <laughs> oh, periscope is a good one. I haven't thought about periscopes in a long time. They're for submarines, and I will never go on a submarine. I used to have a periscope. Did you? Yeah. Why? It was like a... Because uh, my parents just always used to to buy, like, crap they found. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, eBay wasn't a thing, so sometimes you would go to like a junk sale and they would just have a periscope and it would be like one dollar or five bucks and my dad would be like, Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'd just we'd have a periscope in the house. Yeah, taking up space. But you could do remote viewing with it. <laughs> I liked it for that, for sure. <laughs> A kaleidoscope is kind of like that, but you can't see. You can't see anything through it. A kaleidoscope is like local (laughs) non-viewing. Right, right. A kaleidoscope is like... (laughs) I feel like it doesn't have anything at all to do with remote viewing. (laughs) I think you were just going off the scope thing. Yeah, probably. That's like Roman for when you look at stuff. Right. (laughs) That's got to be one of the most ancient words. Right. We had an episode recently about circuses, and we were talking about how every episode is actually just about ancient Rome. Yeah, it is. You can't avoid it. Everything goes back to Romulus and Remus, those old sons of bitches sucking on that wolf. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One hit his head and fell off the bed. The other one started Rome. That's how that story worked. Right. Went on for, what, a little while? A few hundred years? And all that's left is all the good words and aquifers tainted with lead. (laughs) Right, right. Good times. (laughs) So, Natalie, what actually is remote viewing? (laughs) Remote viewing is the practice of seeking impressions about distant or unseen subjects, purportedly sensing them with your mind. So we're actually talking about the weirdo shit, remote viewing. Like, we had done an episode recently about psychic power and we had so much information about this that we thought we'd have this episode just about this by itself because it's cool. So do you think you've ever remote viewed? (sighs) Maybe. What do you think you did? What do you think you remote viewed? Um, It's usually boring stuff. It's like... I'll, I'll see a flash of, like, something that looks like the side of the hill next to the river or something. And that's it? Uh-huh. Now are you sitting down you're, and you're intentionally trying to... I'm rem- usually meditating when it happens. Oh, so you're just you're just trying to blank out and then you get a flash of something. Right. Well, I have aphantasia, so if I see anything at all when I'm, when I'm meditating, it's noteworthy. Okay, and aphantasia is the inability to visualize things in your mind's right, eye. Right, right. Okay, okay. I mean, I've I've thought of things and seen them, but I mean, that happens to me all the time. I do not have aphantasia. I can imagine things and it's like I'm looking at it. Right, right. I've never remote viewed. In fact, I downloaded this app. I think it was called RV Championship or something <laughs> like that. And what you were supposed to do is they would give you, okay, so one of the one of the things they do in the process of remote viewing is they will assign a number 
to an image or a photo or something like that, and then they will give you the number. Like they will focus on the number and they will create like a psychic link between the number and the image, right? And then they will give you the number and you will meditate on the number and then you just write down or draw what you see. Mm -hmm. And so one of the principles of remote viewing and we'll get into who created these and why in a little bit, I'm sure. But one of the principles of remote viewing is that you just describe what you're looking at. You just describe what you're seeing. You don't go into it or try to figure out what is going on. You just describe it and then you can go back later and try to figure out what is happening or where it was or something right, like that. Right. Well, I tried it and then what they would do is they would have you meditate on this number like 864 and so you just meditate on it and you'd clear your mind and you just focus on that number and you you would and this is something that happens you know when when I'm meditating or when I'm just having a, a moment of silence or when I'm uh, you know taking a long shower or just when I'm starting to fall asleep I will see just images I'll have images I'll have thoughts right stream mm -hmm. of consciousness right and then like this app, what it would do is then it would show you some images and you would pick the one you thought you had remote viewed. And I did, I did probably a week or so on it. And I think I did somewhat more poorly than if I would have guessed by chance. Right, right. I think I got like one out of 10 or something like that. <laughs> had a really poor performance. Now, right. I, I don't know that that proves or disproves anything. That's just my experience. Well, with you always say how you are like profoundly like not psychically attuned or like you are like numb to paranormal stuff. I am absolutely open to the experience. I'm skeptical in general of the world, but I'm not like cut off from the idea that there's something happening beyond consensus reality. Everybody agrees that there's something more than what you see. Right. And so I'm not, you know, getting psychic messages and paranormal signals. And I'm like, no, that's just the electricity. <laughs> I'm just really, I'm really open to it. And I feel like I'm, I'm pretty attuned to my own like default mode of, you know, having ideas and knowing where my ideas and my sensory inputs are coming from and everything like that. I've never experienced anything psychic paranormal at all. I think it's possible. And that's the that's the that's the thing. I think it's possible. I just haven't. Right. I feel like a lot of this stuff you have to like get into a meditative practice in order to loosen your shit up a little bit. You think my mental hamstrings are too tight? Yeah. You uh -huh. think I got to roll out my brain's IT band? Right. Right. Because, like, when you expand your consciousness, then you're able to perceive things that are more subtle than you're able to perceive now. Sure. You just have to, like, train yourself to make your brain be quiet enough that you readjust your, your frequencies, man. <laughs> well, I definitely think, I mean, I feel like I have somewhat of a meditative practice when it comes to, you know, sitting down and, and doing divergent thought and doing creative work. Right. Like, well, I think that's a, definitely a form of meditation. Though. Yeah, I've just never like I will get an idea for something out of nowhere for sure. And it feels like it comes from somewhere else. But I've never had an, an overtly psychic experience. I've walked into a room in a building I've never been to before. And I've been like, this looks really familiar. You know where this is from? No, you don't. <laughs> 
<laughs> it could have been a dream. It could have been a thought I had. Maybe it was a vision sent to me at some point prior. Maybe I've been to this again in the future and I'm remembering it as if that is the past. It doesn't matter. I have no idea where I could have had this memory from, but I don't know. Feels like I've been here before. Oh, well. Right, right. See, I always just trust that. I'm like, yeah, it must be the case. Well, I get deja vu a lot, but I've also had experiences where I've had, like, dreams about, like, rooms or buildings. And then, like, a month or two later, I go there and I see it in real life. And I was like, oh, this is this is that place I had a dream about, like, a couple weeks ago. I wonder if, if that does happen to me. I wonder. Now, I don't typically remember my dreams. But I wonder if maybe that doesn't happen because I must be having two or three dreams every night. Right. That's like a thousand dreams a year. A thousand different dreams a year. A lot of them have to be inside. That's where I spend most of my time. Right. Even I, I love to get out of the house and go walk, but I'm always inside. Except for that. Right. Might open my door, go out and look at the front of my house, make sure everything's still on it. <laughs> I mean, as far as you're concerned, like, there's not really much even rendering beyond, like, 50 feet from our house. Oh, yeah. When it comes to the simulation, like, simulating the world's information network is extremely easy because everybody else is doing that. Well, think about this. Think about if the world was a simulation, right? Wouldn't the whole thing with everyone's trying to work from home and stuff, wouldn't that, like, lessen the... What's the word I'm looking for? It would lessen the amount of work the simulation would need to do in order to simulate everything. Oh, yeah, the uh, like the processor load would yeah. go way down. Right. Yeah. If, if everyone started working from home, they would only need to process like a very small area for each individual person. Yeah, kind of like a, your world shrinks to like a Grand Theft Auto lobby. Yeah. <laughs> I'm walking back and forth about 10 paces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little default am animation for drinking a coffee. Right, right. Whoever's running the simulation loves it when you work from home. They do. What if all this, what if the, the simulation engine, what if this is like a generative thing where they load up all the constraints and then we're actually doing all the work? Mm -hmm. It's like an NP level calculation or whatever they would say in programming. What if we are actually just by existing are mining Bitcoin for aliens? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Only to them, the Bitcoin is plastic. Yeah. When somebody comes <laughs> up with a new way to make plastic, their Bitcoin goes way up. <laughs> they just want those bit plastics. They just want all that sweet, sweet plastic, all that carbon dioxide gas. Maybe. <laughs> You know, in Bitcoin, they have, uh, it's called proof of work. You you prove that your computer has churned these equations, right? And you present this, this you present the end product. Mm -hmm. It's like in math class. You check the answer and make sure the answer is right. And then you, you prove that you have done the work, just like in math, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe to the aliens running the simulation, the plastic is the proof that you have done enough work that you have exhausted that little bit of resource you have <laughs> completely turned a, a, a small pixel of the universe back into pure entropy right <laughs> the end good job great job guys i like the idea that everything that happens on earth is just to fuel the economic speculation of aliens will never meet 
Right, right. I like thinking that we are organelles in a cell and we perceive ourselves as doing something grand, but in reality, we are only processing something at a cellular level and we are part of a giant organism that we cannot even comprehend. No, we are part of a giant organism. I mean, I don't think the bacteria in our guts think that they are little helpers helping us have yogurt gut instead of doo-doo gut. <laughs> I they don't... think that something else is going on, man. Oh, they do. We're like, oh, it's my flora. <laughs> There's trillions of them. Right. And by count of cells, most people have roughly, roughly the same number of bacterial cells in and on their body as they do human cells. You're most likely 50% human. Mm-hmm. You are a super organism. You are composed of a host and trillions of tiny little organisms that are doing all these jobs. Sometimes they're just living there, mm -hmm. hoping to get into one of your cuts. Right. <laughs> but sometimes they eat your shit. Right. They think that they are doing something completely different. Right. And it would be folly to think that we are ensouled in the bacteria inside of us or not. Right. So really, we are walking around with trillions of little tiny dots of consciousness. And we've talked about this many times, but is a dog conscious? Does a dog have a soul? Yes, clearly. Obviously. Obviously. So does an ant? Yes. Does, does a bacteria? Yes. Does a protist, does a does an aquatic plant have a soul? I think so. Yeah, sure. I think probably yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So all these little fuckers are doing all this. There are Bitcoin miners. Mm -hmm. They think they are having this fantastically rich life and they have organelles within them. They are not circles. <laughs> right. <laughs> They are complex. Right. They are complex. They are smaller than you can see, but they have all these little wrinkles and folds. They have these dots. They have phospholipid layers. They they generate energy on a cellular level. They take in nutrients. They digest. They have waste products. They communicate. They multiply. They can be infected by viruses. Mm -hmm. They are having this whole shit, and they have no idea that, that they're eating our shit. We are straight up, if we're not inside, some asshole's computer, we're eating alien shit. Right. <laughs> That's 100% what is happening for sure. Right, right. I think we're just like a, a membrane, like a mucous membrane cell or like a muscle cell in some gigantic organism that we cannot even understand. I mean, like, I think that it is terrifically important what I believe to be my ideology. Lots of people do. They think it's extraordinarily important to have a moral ideology. And they also, I mean, I'm just speaking for myself, but sometimes you eat mozzarella cheese and you have diarrhea. Right. <laughs> And neither of these matter. Right. <laughs> Upstream, none of this matters. That is an equilibrium state for the aliens. As long as I am making and throwing away plastic, they get their money. Right. Like whatever our bacteria do for their lives so that they can avoid cheese at diarrhea. <laughs> hey, 
it's great for them. Now, here's my question to you. If we are in a simulation, okay, consensus reality. Let's imagine ourselves to be in the Neil Tyson reality, which is that nothing is real except little tiny balls bouncing off each other. Right. Only consensus physical, only three-dimensional reality is real. Can you remote view something from far away? Haha, ha, of course not. Right. Now let's imagine that the universe is a simulation. Inside your computer, you have programs. Mm -hmm. Well, they're called apps now. We used to call them programs. Back in the days, we would sit on our porch and whittle programs out of bits and bytes. Right. <laughs> But you've, you've got your computer and it's running all these apps. And usually these apps are self-contained. They have a certain amount of little memory that they're allowed to use. And if you've got your messenger open and you're talking on iMessage, your internet browser doesn't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Let's ignore ad tracking and stuff like that. Just within your computer, your internet browser doesn't know what that is doing because those are in different parts of memory. Right. If you you open a text editor, a notepad file. Your internet browser doesn't know what's in there. Your iMessage doesn't know what's in there. And your notepad has no idea who you're talking to, mm -hmm. right? But they all reside on your computer. Now your computer has another layer where your computer can look into all of these apps and tell what is going on. Mm -hmm. There's like a, a more base layer where your computer can access all of these things. Now, the computer has an access control so that if your web browser is like, hey, let me look at this other chunk of memory over here. It says this other chunk of memory is being used. What's in there? Your computer's like, you can't look at that. That's messages. Mm -hmm. You can't look at messages. Well, in certain cases, you could have a memory leak in your computer. You've heard of the phrase memory leak. You could have a buffer overrun where this program might accidentally be allowed to access. Mm -hmm. This other memory space in your computer. In fact, in, in the old days, this used to be a common reason that computers would crash. But this is also a way where still systems are exploited, where they have access control, where one app can't see what the other is doing, but they're both running on the same fucking computer. So if you know what you're doing or you try hard enough, you can look at what the messages are. Right. 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 Is at, at the end of the day, you can see what's going on. So if you imagine the universe as a computational system, which it statistically might be, then remote viewing suddenly becomes like eminently possible. Right. Right. And what you're you're describing is also like similar to the idea of like layers of consciousness and expanding your consciousness to a level where you have access to like directories of where your consciousness is coming from. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the idea where you've got a universal consciousness and little bits of it are, are pulled off and are inside meat cars walking around the world. Right, right, right. So like what you're talking about when you're talking about remote viewing is instead of thinking about things in terms of what you're able to perceive with your five senses and what you have access to with your physical form, you are viewing things from the perspective of all of everything the universal right yeah and you are able to witness whatever you want from a universal level and people have done remote viewing and been like well i i remote viewed like something like down the street 
I remote viewed whatever. Like people who are doing stuff for, for the government are like, oh, I remote viewed some shit in Russia. I remote viewed some kind of military base or whatever the fuck, right? But people have also remote viewed like shit on Mars. Crazy shit. Now, can we go back? Can we talk about where did remote viewing come from? Where did this concept come from? So originally, like the rough idea of remote viewing was like uh, an occult thing called telesthesia or traveling clairvoyance, right? And that referred to a practice of seeing hidden objects remotely or doing like out-of-body travel like astral projection right yeah and they started studying it as a psychic phenomena in the mid-19th century and so some early researchers were like michael faraday and alfred russell wallace rufus osgood mason william crooks like all these guys were carrying out experimental tests on people who they thought had like psychic abilities right yeah and so those guys were first ones who who did it but then in the 60s people started doing it as like woo woo shit right and then in the 70s though stanford started researching it and the government got into it yes they did and so that is what is leading us to talk about this at length today is the fact that this sounds like woo woo shit this sounds like crazy shit that you shouldn't be able to do but it was studied like scientifically and the government had programs where they were training people to do this and where they were using this to like gather information like the government was convinced that this was a thing to the point where they had people in their employ doing it and i i think what happened was that here in the west we don't have a ton of information about it but in the 70s during the cold war the fact leaked somehow to America that Russia was spending millions of dollars training, finding people who had psychic potential or remote viewing potential in training them and trying to do this kind of shit and were purportedly somewhat successful. Right, right. And the thing is, these programs in the government went on for 25 years. Yeah. It started at Harvard in the 70s, maybe in the year 1970, and I believe it was finally discontinued. It was controlled by the CIA for some time and anytime you say controlled by the CIA it sounds like a conspiracy theory but it's literally part of public record right that the CIA had this division of people who were doing remote viewing and it got up to like 15 or 20 people which if you consider that these are now government agents and they're being trained and it's classified and it's secure and they're they're doing sensitive work for the government these are people are getting paid a lot right they're investing a lot of money into doing this and generally, the government does not invest millions or billions of dollars unless it's to kill people. So they thought they were going to get some good info out of this shit. Right, right. But they worked on this for like 25 years. Right. This was not just something they did once as a shot in the dark. They had this program ongoing. Right. And if you consider that it didn't stop until 1995, this was not just a little doofy Cold War thing. They were doing this after the Berlin Wall fell after the Soviet Union split up for several years. Right, right. And so that's like different than when, you, when you're talking about like mediums, like those kind of things. It's easy to be like whatever. A lot of it is like people like taking advantage of people or to serve their own egos or whatever. And so it's easy to write them off. But this particular practice was co-signed by the government for an extremely long time. And some of the shit that went on with it was fucking crazy. Before we start talking about 
about Nevermore Viewing Mars, I wanted to talk about Joe McMonagall, who was U.S. Army Chief Warrant Officer, and he was the guy who was doing all the operations for the remote viewing stuff. Yeah, now this was codenamed Stargate Project. Right. I want to throw that out there. Yeah, and so they were running the Stargate Project, and it was like McMonagall and Ingo Swan and like a bunch of other motherfuckers, right? And so they were doing investigations of remote viewing and they were also studying the use of paranormal abilities for military intelligence gathering in specific. Mm-hmm. And so they did a bunch of studies about near-death experiences and astral projection and UFOs. Here we go again with the connection between UFOs and like consciousness shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, based on his research, McMonagall said that remote viewing is possible and it is accurate outside the boundaries of time. And so you could remote view things in the past, you can remote view things in the present, and you can remote view things in the future. Okay. Uh, he said that he had remote viewed Chinese nuclear facilities, the Iranian hostage crisis, the Red Brigades, and Mamar Gaddafi. So he was like, the government was having him remote view crazy stuff, right? Well, in McMonagall, his biggest success was that he found some kind of entire ship that nobody knew existed. Right. So he had done a remote viewing and he predicted that there was a typhoon class submarine that the Soviets had and he told the government what kind of submarine it was and where it was. And the government was like they don't have a submarine of this kind. Right. Right. And he did the remote viewing on this in 1979 and then in the middle of January of 1980 they got satellite photos that confirmed that the Soviet Union had the kind of submarine that he told the government that they had and it was exactly where he said it was. That seems pretty pinpointing right for something that might have been a stab in the dark yeah but he said that the remote viewing program ended basically because people were like oh that's a little woo woo i don't want any it's kind of weird I don't want to be associated with that. And that is the exact same reason that people in the Navy who were out on these fucking aircraft carriers and people in the Air Force who were flying these missions, that's the reason why uh, nobody would ever report this. People would come back and they'd be like, yeah, I saw these fucking UFOs flying around. People would be like, lol. And like, you couldn't report it and you couldn't even talk about it because it was, it was something you would be ridiculed for even bringing up. Right, right. But McMonagall was not perfect. He remote viewed some stuff that did not seem to come about. He said that there was going to be a passing of a teenager's right to work bill. Uh, he said there was going to be a new religion that was not based on Christianity at all. He said that there was going to be uh, science related to like soul and consciousness stuff. He said that there was going to be an AIDS vaccine. Uh, he said there was going to be a movement to eliminate television. And he said that there was going to be a trend where people were going to replace all of their clothes with temporary tattoos covering themselves up. <laughs> and he said that... <laughs> And he said that all that stuff was going to happen in between 2002 and 2006. Okay. Well, I mean, it's it's entirely possible that he's wrong, but one of the principles of remote viewing, I mentioned this before, one of the principles of remote viewing is you're supposed to put yourself in a mental state to receive images. You're supposed to focus and 
clear your mind and put yourself in this space to receive images Mm -hmm. and then you write down the images and that's it you don't interpret them and it sounds as though if he is making predictions about the future he is doing remote viewing and then he is attempting to interpret them which does not work right right. for this particular for this particular trick so he started huffing his own butt well he started see he was probably successful in seeing little images of something else from somewhere else and then he took it upon himself maybe to continue writing the story now do people walk around covered in tattoos yes they do and they do it more and more now in the future could he have seen somebody covered in tattoos and been like oh people don't wear clothes anymore he may have thought that that's not true right right because this was like the 70s right yeah yeah so he could have seen some like some chick on makeup club (laughs) in 2002 suicide girls He's like, all these chicks and their tits are out. <laughs> they just got tattoos covered everywhere. And it's like they don't even have clothes. They just have tattoos. It's amazing. Oh, man. Could you could you imagine, like, you're in the fucking deep CIA, like, in the, the 77th level of the Pentagon. Right. And you're in this fucking closed room. And you just, there's a glass door and it's labeled remote viewing, top secret. And like the door opens and a guy comes out and he's wearing a sleep mask. And he's like, yo, because he just remote viewed the suicide girls. (laughs) And he's like, man, I think this is the future. (laughs) And they're like, what did you see? And he's like, it was a girl and she was wearing nothing but boots. And the bottom of the boots was like six inches thick. Everyone in the future must be short. She wasn't wearing nothing. (laughs) All the women in the future are very short, and so they have to wear these very crazy boots so they can reach the sink. (laughs) She was was sitting on top of her desk. Uh, So the real story with the remote viewing is when the CIA did the remote viewing of Mars. This happened on May 22nd of 1984. You can read the documents about it online. And this was Joe McMonagall. Now, this did not come out until very recently. The CIA put this document in what is called the, the CIA reading room, which you would not think that they would have this insane shit up. But part of the deal with all this and like you mentioned they said they didn't want to be associated with shit that seemed wacko Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. the cia put this shit online and they discontinued the program and it's almost like they're putting this stuff up to try to disclaim it but the fucking remote viewing of mars had aspects to it that seemed as though the person who was viewing it was actually viewing something and then later this just I mean, this has been on the CIA's website. This has been available to the public since, I think, 2008. Mm -hmm. And people were not really digging into this. Because, I mean, if I'm fucking going online, I'm not going to go to the government website and look around the government document archives. That's not my idea of a good time. Right, right. So people finally dug this up or probably re-dug it up. I'm sure somebody on Above Top Secret or something has already pawed through it. But it, it really hit, you know in a broader way, probably two or three years ago. And people then took the coordinates that the examiner was asking. So what a remote viewing setup is like, you've got a person who is an examiner and you've got a person who is doing the remote viewing. And they have like pencil and paper 
and they can draw stuff or they can describe stuff to an examiner mm -hmm. like as they are attempting to experience it right and the idea the reason why they tell you not to interpret it is because when you start having these convergent thought rather than divergent thought when your mind is open and you are having divergent thought and you're receiving images and you're receiving impressions of what is happening this is divergent thought this is a totally different thought process than convergent thought, mm -hmm. which is divergent thought is like, I see trees, I see a man, the man is waving in the trees, the sky is dark, right? Mm -hmm. You are describing all this stuff that is happening and, and you are experiencing something new. Then the convergent thought would be, I don't know, maybe he's looking for somebody and then you start trying to put these pieces together like a jigsaw puzzle and that closes your mind to divergent thought. Right. And so that's why they ask you not to do interpretations of any of this stuff. But so the examiner asks this guy, Basically, this, the CIA had a remote viewer who turned out, we just learned this really recently, was Joe McMonagall. Mm. They had a sealed envelope and it had a piece of paper inside and written on it was the planet Mars time of interest approximately 1 million years BC. And I don't know if this was like a test of the remote viewer, I would imagine that somebody said, well, give him something stupid. Mm -hmm. Give him something stupid. Another planet one million years ago, mm -hmm. right? And then so they give this guy, the idea is they give him a place and then, you know, the envelope is sealed and he gets the envelope and he's focusing on the envelope and he doesn't know. The guy who's being examined doesn't know mm -hmm. that this is what this is and immediately he starts describing what he starts describing some crazy bullshit he starts off by saying that he sees uh, an oblique view of a pyramid now the first thing the guy does the first thing that the examiner does is he asks the subject who is joe he says i want you to focus exclusively on the information in the envelope and he gives him a set of coordinates uh -huh. right <clears throat> and that and the first thing he sees when he's given the coordinates is a pyramid but it seems like maybe it's like an oblique view of a pyramid and it is like sitting in a depressed area so maybe it might be like a slightly different shape than that but roughly some sort of megalith uh-huh. He said it's ochre colored, like yellowish, like dirt yellow. Uh-huh. And then he describes the perception of people. Like he he does not see them directly, but he is getting the vibes like there are people here, right? Mm-hmm. And he gets the perception of shadows of people who are very, very tall and thin, but it seems like they were there, but now they're not there anymore. So maybe he was catching the tail end of a civilization that just like blinked out. Mm -hmm. And the guy who's working with him said, well, go back to a time when they were still there. Yeah. And he starts getting a little bit of problems and his visions of it are very broken up and, and everything like that, right? And he reiterates that the people are really large and they're very tall and mm -hmm. very big and they're wearing strange clothes. And he starts saying how the pyramids are shelters from storms. Like they're structures that they get in to protect themselves from shit like that, right? And the guy tells him to go inside one of the pyramids 
And he describes, like, the layout of the chambers, the furniture in them. And he kind of implies that people go to this area and try to, like, sleep through storms. And, like, try to just, like, get through stormy periods. And they just keep on having to go back. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he describes these tall, skinny guys. He said they are wearing very tight-fitting clothing that is made out of silky material. And he says that they are ancient and that they are dying and it is the time that this this race of of beings is dying off in this on this planet well and the the impression was that there were all of these really huge people and they were in these pyramid structures and they were trying to survive what seemed to be like the desolation of their planet Mm -hmm. something happened Mm -hmm. and their planet is becoming unlivable right and they are dying out and there was the he said something about he got the impression that they know that they're not going to survive whatever is happening on mars right and so they he said they were very philosophic about the situation on mars too they're like well you know philosophical ideas about it we're just all gonna die here i guess (laughs) (laughs) and he said that they are just waiting to die and they are perceiving joe mcmonagle like a hallucination or something so it seems like those people are perceiving him as well well and that almost seems like the kind of thing that happens when when there are paranormal experiences which is whenever i always got the idea that if that if there's some sort of uh paranormal experience and the ghosts are interacting with you it's just as likely that they're like what the fuck are you doing here i'm seeing a ghost they believe they're seeing a ghost right 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 so they went on and the guy asks he says what are they waiting for and he said that they were waiting because a group of them left and went to find a new place to live and they were maybe thinking that someone was going to come back and get them now when we get to this point i would like to point out like all of the ancient art that implied that very very tall people were helping ancient civilizations build like pyramids you know like they have on mars and (laughs) all of all of the ancient artwork or very much of the ancient artwork depicts these people that could have been 40 or 50 feet tall and showed them with yokes carrying two pyramid blocks on the yokes and then a normal human-sized person on the ground next to them that was proportional to the pyramid block. Mm-hmm. These big squared-off blocks that they made the pyramids out of. Right. And the artwork depicts people that were several times taller, not just, you know, nine, ten-foot-tall people, but several times taller than humans. Right, right. And the other thing is that this viewing described them as very thin, right? Here's the thing. Humans are pretty fat. We're pretty chunky, right? If you scaled us up two or three times to where we were 20 feet tall, we would collapse under our own weight. You would have to be very thin. You would have to have a much smaller volume if you were going to be 50 feet tall Mm -hmm. and survive in, in, you know, an air atmosphere. Right, right. The other thing that is very interesting about this is that they gave him specific coordinates. And if you go and you look at those coordinates on Mars... There's something there on Mars. Mm -hmm. The resolution is not good enough to see what it is. Right. But it might be a fucking pyramid. Or it might be the ruins of a pyramid. 
Right. And so they asked him what happened to Mars and he was like, he, he was having a hard time verbalizing it. He, he said he was seeing cosmic stuff like space pictures. And he said it looked like a globe that goes through a comet's tail. He's like, so something happened to Mars that made it uninhabitable for, for these people, right? Uh-huh. And he asked what happened with the other people, where they go. He said, well, they got on a shiny boat that was inside of a larger boat. And it was all rounded off and made out of metal. And they went somewhere else. And they were like, where did they go? Where did they end up? And he said that they went to some really crazy place with, like, volcanoes and gas pockets and strange plants. And he said it was like going from the frying pan into the fire. But this place had plants and stuff, so they would be able to survive there, probably. (laughs) (laughs) And just thinking about it, I, I feel like I can name a planet that has volcanoes and plants. Right, right. That we're not quite built to live in. a little hostile to us <laughs> so so anyway if you go on in this cia report if you go on uh and if you're on the discord say something i'll link you to it i have the link handy uh if you're not on the discord patreon.com slash garbage brain university that's how you join the discord you have to be a subscriber to get into our private discord that's how we keep random people out right but uh i will put the link in the discord and we can flip through this i love this document there's a few others on the cia site that are good this absolutely takes the cake because uh, after the fact people went in and tried to correlate these coordinates with different parts of Mars. Some of them you can't see anything on Mars, but it, if it was a million years ago, you know, shit happens. Right. <laughs> Especially if their planet was doing okay and then a comet kind of sprinkled them or something. Like, you don't know. You don't know what right. what they maybe had. So And then they came back here and they spired it off here. They probably got over here and they probably started like uh, doing genetic engineering with some Neanderthals and some other guys and got some peanut butter and the chocolate and made people. Well, you know, thinking about these big Martians being here, these big 50-foot skinny fuckers... And then I'm just envisioning this art, this Egyptian art that depicts this. We must have been their little Pikmin. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we would have followed them around. And if they blew their whistle, we'd be like, whoa, okay. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> then, man, there's a pyramid and they came over here and built pyramids. Think about it, man. Pyramids, lots of places. There's still some pyramids out there we haven't found. You know, sometimes you go somewhere like Bosnia and somebody's like, oh, that hill has awful straight sides. You kind of dig in a little bit. That's a pyramid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I still like that Chinese one. Mount Kailash? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mount Kailash is my favorite just because every single civilization that's ever existed in that area, like their number one rule, like before thou shalt not kill, their number one rule is like, yo, don't go to Mount Kailash. Right, right. <laughs> Number one rule, don't go there. Because there's no good deed commemorated there. (laughs) Well, (laughs) the way that humans remember things and communicate is through this oral history and having a societal taboo against climbing or going to Mount Kailash. You know, that that must suffice. Nobody's found the Martians yet. And you know what? The thing with Mount Kailash is so so interesting, too, because any other 
civilization that is around mountainous areas will use the peaks and stuff in religious ceremonies. Like, it's part of their land and it is part of their traditions is interacting with these landforms. And the idea of having this massive landform and just, like, don't go there is very strange. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so what did you learn today about remote viewing, baby? You know, even if I can't do it, I think it's possible. And, uh, you know, if the CIA doesn't like it, kind of makes me like it more. I don't feel like those guys are the good guys. No, they're not. No, they're not. But I know that if they are spending a bunch of money on it, it's probably because they have some shit that they're not telling us about. I think it's possible that if they investigated some kind of technology and it could only be used to like spread light and knowledge, they'd be like, fuck it. <laughs> Too expensive. You know who would never deny a study of light and knowledge? Cory Grella. She's like a constant source of light and knowledge. If you ever want either of those or some great insurance, hit her up. Yeah, right. I always do. <laughs> and you know where there is no societal prohibition on traveling to? Uh, Harlem Township. That's right. Ask around. Nobody will ever tell you not to go. <laughs> to the most beautiful of 18 townships in Delaware County, Sunbury Ohio. Sunbury fucking wishes. Genoa Township. <laughs> kiss my wish. ass. You fucking wish. <laughs> fuck out of here. Listen, if you haven't already, patreon.com slash garbagebrainuniversity. Get on the Discord. Give us some more topics to talk about and just come by and say hi. You'll also hear uh, 140? Do we have 140 premium episodes? I don't know. We have a shitload of episodes you haven't heard, so peep by. Do that. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you soon. I love you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.